Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This can be found on page 458 of your Pew Bible. This passage begins the story of God's plan to bring his people back from the exile and restore the temple according to his promises spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A reading from Ezra chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold with goods and with beasts, besides free will, offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus, the king, also brought the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shesbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 39 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the other vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Shesbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. May God add his blessing to the, to the reading of his holy word. I've always loved building things. As a kid, I would spend my weekends in my room playing with my building blocks. Piece by piece, I'd stack and place my blocks to create a world for myself to live in for just a little bit. Within my self-made structures, I would fight dragons, or run a bakery, or become a mad scientist. And without fail, after a few minutes, my brother, who is four years younger than me, would come charging at me, full speed, straight ahead for my structure. And I'd snap out of wherever I had been transported to and see my creation topple over as my blocks came crashing to the ground. And I was devastated. I couldn't comprehend why my brother would do that or how I'd ever move on from such a devastating event. I questioned if I could ever build as beautiful a structure as I did that day. Well, if you've ever been around kids, you know that about 20 minutes after I was finished crying on the floor, I was back to building another structure. And my brother was patiently waiting for the completion of my next world that I built to come barreling down the hallway once again 
with plans of utter destruction. Since then, even without my brother charging at me, there's been times in my own life when it felt like my whole world was toppling over, left in ruins after total destruction. Maybe you felt that way too, because of horrible circumstances or other people hurting one another, or maybe even our own selves. The reality is all of us face destruction in our time on earth. Thankfully, in our text today, we're reminded that even after destruction, even after devastation, God restores what was once destroyed. Today, we pick up in our story, and the Israelites have faced serious destruction for 70 years. 70 years ago, they were forcefully taken out of their homes, their temple burned down, and they've been living in exile under Babylonian rule. Their life had been uprooted. Their holy vessels desecrated. And just about everything in their life had been radically changed. And during these 70 years, they knew God said this exile would last that long. But you know what? Even knowing what God said, I can imagine during those really long years, they wondered if God was actually going to be true to his word. Even at the 70-year mark, wondering if this exile would actually end. Have you wondered that too? In your devastation, have you wondered if God was actually going to be true to his word in your life, in your own situations? Well, let's find out together in our text today, will God be true to his word? to the Israelites, and can we trust God to be true to his word today? To give us some context before we get back into the scripture, Babylon had been taken over by a Persian king, King Cyrus, who is now ruling over the city, and he is about to make a proclamation that will change everything. Look with me at the first verse. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. The God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. God's word is true. Just like he said, after 70 years of living in exile, the Israelites can finally go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. And what's so incredible about this story is that God uses King Cyrus to free the Israelites. King Cyrus is a pagan king. He doesn't even worship God. 
And yet we see in verse 1 that God stirs the spirit of Cyrus, so much so that he even proclaims that the God of Israel, he is the God that is in Jerusalem. And it's with God's stirring, King Cyrus does the opposite of what all the kings back then did. The kings before him were grasping for any power that they could get, which meant enslaving and ruling over people to elevate their status and their kingdom. King after king continued to cave into the greed and willpower of man. Yet, in his first year of ruling, Cyrus decides to relinquish some of his power by allowing the Israelites to finally go home. God used a pagan king to fulfill his promises. Our God who created the entire universe and everything in it is greater than all powers and all authorities here on earth. He's greater than any man-made kingdom and can use anyone for his purposes. And you know what? He is sovereign in all circumstances, not just when exile is over. God is sovereign even in exile. Even with bad and corrupt kings and leaders, even in destruction, God is still sovereign. And just imagine what the Israelites must have felt when they heard this news. Some of them might have even questioned this. Is this for real? Is this really the end of our exile? After all this time, being away from home, unable to experience worshiping God in the temple, and finally, they hear the news they've been longing for. Go home and rebuild. For some of them, having been born in exile, they had only known destruction. They had only heard the passed down stories of the temple and of life in Jerusalem. And it was fi finally time for them to see it for themselves. After all the destruction of their land and their lives, God was going to restore what was destroyed so they could rebuild. When I was younger, I was eager to turn 21, but not for the reasons you might think. It was made known to me because of my genetic makeup that I had a chance of developing a serious mental illness between the ages of 18 and 20, 21. And in those three years, I was riddled with anxiety. I saw the effects of this disease on my family, and I was convinced that I would have the same fate. And as irrational as it was, every day I would wake up thinking, today's the day. The other shoe's gonna drop and my life will never be the same. Every day, for three years, I lived in fear. And again, I know this is an irrational thought, but I even prevented myself from planning future plans because I had put myself in a mental prison. I was in my own personal exile. And the day I turned 21, I was free. 
Not from the disease, because honestly, that could have come on any time after I turned 21, but from my daily fear and torment. And step by step, God restored the parts of my life that I thought would never be restored. He showed me how to find freedom and how to look forward to things like birthdays and holidays again. Are you walking through devastation in your own life, in your marriage, your health, your job? How does God meet us and restore us in places that seem incapable of rebuilding? Let's keep reading verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all those who were able to aid them, who were about them, aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares. Besides all that was freely offered. God restores us together in community. We see this beautiful picture of people coming together, freely offering what they have in order to start rebuilding. This mission wasn't meant to be ventured alone, and our mission as Christians living in this world isn't meant to be taken by ourselves. The very presence of God is in community and his spirit restores and rebuilds, which is why we love all of the life groups that meet every single week. We know there is restoration healing happening in these special and sacred times together. God led and guided his people, stirring in their hearts to come together and give what they had. The same spirit that stirred the heart of Cyrus, stirred the hearts of the people, and it's the same spirit we feel now in the sanctuary. We gather in community, giving freely and experiencing the presence of God. You might be sitting here thinking, all right, Lauren, that's great for people who are bringing something to the table, but I have nothing to give. And in fact, you don't know the destruction that I've been through. Why would God even want to use me after everything that I've been through? Well, actually, our scripture speaks right into that and has an encouraging word for anyone feeling that way this morning. Continue in verse 7. Cyrus, the king, also brought out the vessels of the Lord, of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Do you remember three weeks ago, we talked about Belshazzar throwing a debaucherous party where they even brought out the holy vessels and started drinking wine from them? The Israelites must have been so discouraged seeing this happen to their sacred vessels. And I'm sure for them, it was an indicator of how bad things had gotten every bit of hope taken away from them. 
They lost their temple, and now their sacred items had been totally desecrated. But look what is happening. Despite what had happened, King Cyrus brings out the sacred vessels to the offering. What had once been desecrated has been restored for a new purpose. God's word is true. What seems impossible through human lens is possible with God. And every item brought as a free will offering is counted. Let's look together, starting in verse 9. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, a 1,000 bases of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and a 1,000 other vessels. And all the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. Each offering brought to the table was counted for and restored. Nothing was wasted or forgotten. You know those three years I talked about earlier? That's 1,095 days. And God restored every single one of them. God sees you despite the destruction or devastation you have faced and wants to restore you for a new purpose, a holy purpose. God sees all the heartbreak and sorrow you've experienced, and none of your stories have been wasted. God can redeem and restore even the most desecrated vessels and use them for his purposes. In fact, the most holy vessel Jesus' sacred body was desecrated, beaten, and abused to the point of death. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Amen. Just like every item was accounted for, it tells us every sin has been paid for through the death of Jesus on the cross. And it's through his resurrection we have been restored to God the Father and to one another. By his wounds, you have been healed. Each one of us, every single part of us, has been restored through the saving work of the cross. And now living freely as restored people, each one of us is being called to be part of the resurrection work in our community. What does that look like? Well, join a life group. Share the gospel with a friend or coworker that you've been hesitant about. Pray for restoration and healing in our community. Despite what has been destroyed, God restores and calls us for a new purpose. Amen.
To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.